Hola, so this morning we will recommence with the awareness of awareness or shamatha without a sign. We'll move to the third phase in these classic teachings of Padmasambhava where we direct the eyes upwards, right, left, and down. But this is part of a continuum or a flow from the practice we did yesterday morning. And, we, and you, if you kind of put those together, you'll see we're pretty much covering a three-dimensional map here. That if you're going out and then in, out, and even deeper in, so really trying to do this, how do you say, this horizontal axis, out and in, and that clearly is involving the, the eyes, even though you don't really want to go cross-eyed when you're going inwards. Nevertheless, you will have that sense of going right in where your eyes are, right? And so at least one person mentioned a little bit of eye strain when doing that a lot. Uh, this morning, we'll, we'll be going up, right, left, and down, always coming back to the center. And so, so there you see we have it. We have the axis going in and out, up and down, right and left. That pretty much creates a three-dimensional space. Um, but these are exercises, I would say these are really, especially today's exercises, rather in the, in the, in the, in the vein of um, stretching before you go out for a long run. Okay? Um, this is a kind of a warm-up exercise to give greater, a greater spaciousness to the practice. But once you've kind of limbered up a little bit, and bearing in mind when you do this exercise with the eyes, that you're not really looking at anything up there. You're simply directing the, the gaze upwards without craning your neck, and, but not meditating on anything. So you're gently sustaining the flow of awareness of awareness. Right? Um, but for the long term, then we're going to come right back to that place of settling the mind in its own place, letting it come to rest in its own place, which after you've done all this maneuvering, in and out, up and down and so forth, hopefully you'll come to kind of like the pendulum coming to rest in the center at a point where you don't feel it's outside or it's inside, it's not left or right, it's just where awareness rests. Now final point in terms of this overall mood or theme, which is a very, very useful one, of the arousal and inversion and release, inversion and release, it's very easy because the eyes are open. It's very easy to think, okay, what this means is coming out in the space, the visual space in front, and then in somehow maybe back inside my head or maybe deep inside my head to the cerebellum, to the brainstem, maybe behind the head. You know, but to think it, that it really is like a pendulum like this. It was my word. I use the word pendulum, and that can be, how do you say, useful a little bit and misleading a little bit also. I would suggest a different metaphor now rather than pendulum, which has such a clear arc. Uh, and that is more, more like a membrane that collapses into a point and then expands out, collapses into a point, expands out. Uh, more three-dimensional. And that's the whole idea here of coming on this, this axis, out and in, up and down and so forth. But now we're expanding in all directions. And what we're really withdrawing from is not simply the visual appearances in front of us, but actually all appearances. So bear in mind, sounds are not just in front of us. We, we hear sounds from behind us. We have a sense, oh yeah, I, hear, I heard the sound behind me. So we have a sense of the sound actually being back there. We can feel the back of the head, so tactile sensations will be in back, as well as below and above. And then we have the visual, obviously, in front. But then there's mental appearances, and they don't appear just in front. They can appear really anywhere that we can imagine. So the idea here, when we're, we're doing the retraction, the inversion, of awareness, it's simply a withdrawal from all appearances. So not just coming in, like inside my head, but withdrawing from all of them, 
right into just that sheer knowing during which we ignore all appearances and just rest in that knowing of knowing. And then release, but releasing outwards, so not just out into the visual field, but outwards more into kind of an open presence while sustaining the awareness of awareness, then withdrawing back into just the awareness out and in like that. If you do it in this way, then you won't have any eye strain. And I think we'll be more in the spirit of what is meant. And bear in mind again the strong parallel of falling asleep. Or even the stronger parallel of being in the midst of a lucid dream. And so you have appearances in all directions, just like in the waking state, including your thoughts and images while you're dreaming. So bear in, bear in mind that's all a little microcosm of being in the waking state. Um, but when you withdraw from that, you're not just withdrawing your awareness from the dream appearances in front of you, you're withdrawing your awareness from all appearances. And then your awareness just dissolves into substrate consciousness. Okay? So hopefully that's a bit clear. Jump in. Okay. By the way, I think I, I, I have probably got the key to the great cough-clearing mystery. I think it's dairy. Just dairy, because I had a nice, I had some yogurt with granola yesterday, the bane of granola, you know. Uh, and today, maybe it's getting back at me for all my little jokes about granola. And today I had a Thai breakfast, you know, when in Thailand do as the Thais do, I had a straight Thai breakfast and the, the congestion seems to be gone. So, what's that? There is no good in a tropical climate, yeah, even a little schlop of, of yogurt, yep. So, but I, I received messages from abroad and a number from a number of you, so thank you internationally for your concern about my throat clearing. It looks like, um, it looks like the, the answer was in the Zen koan, moo. <laughs> oh, so with no further silliness, let's go back to practice. Settle the body, speech, and mind in their natural states, calming and soothing the mind with mindfulness of breathing, releasing thoughts with every out-breath.
and let your eyes be open and evenly rest your gaze in the space in front of you. Then begin the oscillation. The oscillation is something like a space-time or space and time oscillation. And that is when you focus sharply. You're bringing your awareness with great precision into the immediacy of the present moment. You are withdrawing it from the future and the past. And likewise, when you bring your awareness into its own nature, you're withdrawing it from the space of all appearances, sensory and mental. There's a retraction here, right into the sheer luminosity and sheer cognizance of awareness. You're withdrawing from space and time. And then you release, but release with no object, just utterly let go. Set the rhythm of the oscillation at your own pace, conjoined with the breath temporarily if you find this helpful, otherwise simply set your own rhythm.
Now, in order to expand this experienced sense of space, without moving your head, without craning your neck or bending your neck backwards, direct your visual gaze upwards into the sky. without straining the eyes. And without taking anything as an object, gently sustain the flow of awareness of awareness. Bring the awareness back to the center, the eyes at rest. Again, without moving the head, direct your gaze to the right and practice as before. back to center.
to the left. back to center. then downwards.
back to center. And for the rest of the session, you may simply remain in stillness with your awareness resting neither outside nor inside, neither up nor down, left or right, resting in its own place, aware of the sheer luminosity and cognizance of awareness. Or if you wish, you may recommence the oscillation withdrawing into a vanishing point away from space and time and then releasing into the openness of space with no object as you wish and let's continue practicing in silence
let's bring the session to a close. strikes me that this process of inflation and then contraction is a very, very tiny microcosm of way the, the universe as a whole may be operating. Einstein believes so, but it's not clear. The data are not conclusive one way or another yet. But clearly right now the universe, by all, by all the data that we have, is expanding. And if there's sufficient mass and energy, and it looks like especially dark matter and dark energy, if there's sufficient in the universe, then there will come a point, quite a big point in the universe, where it stops expanding, and it will start to collapse. And it will go into what physicists call the big crunch. So it started in the big bang, it will go back into the big crunch, and it will go back into what is called the singularity. And the singularity, we don't know about whether it will go back to a big crunch or whether it will just go out into a big whimper. That's the, other, that's the other phrase. I think big whimper, maybe giant whimper, uh, where just everything cools off and that's it. Like, that, 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 that's all, folks, and nothing more. It's totally and forever over because it just goes into flat entropy and the universe just cools off homogeneously and there's just nothing more. But the alternative is that we, all, we don't all freeze to death, we all burn to death. <laughs> so you can have your choice, but don't worry, it will not happen in this lifetime. Um, but it contracts back to this singularity. And of the singularity, there's one singularity about which the physicists are quite confident, cosmologists, and that is time equals zero. And that is before there was any movement at all, before even the initial nanoseconds or, you know, down to the tiniest, tiniest quantum of time, when it was simply zero, then all the equations about the, for example, the density of mass and the temperature of the universe, it doesn't go infinite, it just does go, it goes into not compute. And I actually did those, it's very simple equations. What happens is you have a zero in the denominator. So our mathematician knows what happens when you have a zero in the, in the denominator in a fraction, put zero on the bottom, it just goes, does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. It's not infinite, it's not finite, it's not anything, it just does not compute, does not compute. And so that's where we started from. We start this universe 13.7 billion, billion years ago, give or take a few minutes, with something that simply defies all of mathematics and defies all the laws of physics. And how you go from t equals zero to t equals a tiny bit of time, nobody knows. And so if we come back now to our practice, out, out of cosmology, back into the little microcosm of sitting here in Phuket and, you know, expanding, contracting, um, the interesting point to my mind is how close were you able to come to a vanishing point? How close to the present were you able to get? How smudgy was it? How smudgy? Smudgy means not a point, but smudged means taking a point and then smearing it. Smearing it. So, you know, was it, was it right in the, in the immediate present, give or take a half second? Give or take a quarter of a second? 100 milliseconds? How big was the present moment? And how small spatially? How much were we able to withdraw into awareness of awareness which has no spatial dimension at all? So if you're pretty good at this, then you achieve shamatha. 
and your awareness slips into, dissolves into the substrate consciousness. But if you're really good at this, as Padmasambhava suggested, you may break through to what I think would really definitely be called a contemplative singularity. And that is when you break through to Rikpa, you're now beyond, you're no longer in this world of space-time. It's in the fourth time. So it's one metaphor that might be useful, and then we'll, we'll take a break. I found it useful. And that is, and, and Gautam Rinpoche commented on this in his, in his commentary on this practice of coming into the present, into the present. Relatively speaking, the present means not the future, not the past, but you know, just, just right now. So some finite period that would say, but then finite period, what, isn't the first part of it in the past and the second part of it in the future? Okay, we'll make it narrower. Yeah, but isn't the first part in the past and the second part in the future? We'll make it narrower. How narrow can you make it? So on, relatively speaking, well, it's a finite period there. Just as in physics, there is, there is a notion of a finite smallest period of time. Doesn't it have to do with Planck's constant? I think it does, yeah. And so a notion of a finite briefest moment of time. But now imagine that collapses. What would that be like? Well, here's the metaphor. It's my metaphor, so don't make a big deal of it. It's probably silly, okay? But imagine you're in a barn. A barn, you know barn? A place where you keep cows? You know, moo. Yeah. Okay. And there's, there's a farm instrument, it's used in many cases, it's called a forklift. And that's not a term that non-native non English speakers might know. It's simply a flat platform with a, with a machine under it. So the flat platform simply goes up and down, up and down, okay? Very simple. So imagine you're lying on your back on this forklift, right? And the barn is completely dark. And, as you're, and you're gazing straight up and you see in line with your eyes, right along the, the, to, the, to the left and the right, you see a very narrow sliver, a little crack in the ceiling, in the, in the roof of the barn. You see daylight, you see daylight. But, in, but in, beneath that is all dark, above that is all dark, and so in the whole barn there's just this one crack, very narrow crack of daylight beaming through, okay? And that's straight above your eyes. And you see, boy, it's very narrow, most of it's all dark, but a very narrow little strip of light up there, all right? And it's right immediately above your eyes. Okay? And now imagine you're on the forklift and gradually it starts to lift you up. Closer and closer and closer. Until eventually that very narrow strip as you're going up, that ne very narrow strip gradually appears to be a bit, a bit thicker. Because you're getting closer to it, obviously. And then you get thicker and thicker until eventually the forklift gets you right up there until your eyes are only maybe a half an inch or a centimeter away from the crack. And now suddenly you don't see the barn at all. You see no darkness. All you see is a vast expanse. So that which had seen very narrow now has no parameters and there's no narrow at all. It's only open expanse. So you've broken through the limitations of the space-time of the, or let's say the space, of the barn, where the present seemed to be so narrow, you broke through that, and now it's no barn, and only a vast expanse. So I was reading Dujum Lingba and his comments, his, his account of slipping into the substrate at death, 
And then what it's like when the substrate, whether it lasts six hours, two days, three days, however long that blackout period lasts, like the blackout in the barn. Um, and then he says, and then you slip into the clear light of death, into the clear light, clear light awareness, rikpa. And he simply expressed it as an open expanse. And if you recognize it, you can sustain it. If you don't, gone very shortly. Yeah. So, let's prepare for our last great meditation and hope it will be many years in the future. All, all clear, yes? You know what I mean. Totally good. So let's have a nice death. But slowly, slowly, as much as we can. Manana, give us a, as much time to prepare as possible. I'll put it that way. As much time to prepare as possible to have a really meaningful death. Okay? Good.